Heavenly Father, we sing those words, Lord, worthy to be praised. So God, I know that you hear our praise, Father. We bring you glory and we give you honor today, Lord, just because you deserve it, Lord, because you are God and you overwhelm us, Lord, by your love, by your grace, by your beauty, by your majesty. And we stand here today and declare that you are God. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, it's good to see you today. We had uh, an interesting week. We, we did a whirlwind tour getting Nate halfway back to Abilene. And uh, so we spent some time in Kansas City and then in Joplin and then came back home to the first time since December 14th, 1989 without a child in the house. Don't feel bad for us. We still have three turtles. So <clears throat> it's all working out fine. But, you know, the transition to uh, from people little people around the house to not around the house. There are a lot of pieces that go into that. And one of them is, what do you do with meals? I love to cook. A lot of you know I love to cook. And now you're kind of doing this downsizing of meals and trying to figure out how to cook the things you always cooked and still have them taste good and enjoyable and all that. But, you know, so we hand out a lot of food to friends. A lot of food goes over to Shelley's house and off to Brian's house and whatever. But anyway, um, we have some, I like to cook. A lot of you know that I like to cook. It's been, it's kind of a hobby. I like doing fancy stuff. I like doing simple stuff. I think some of my favorite stuff to cook is just good old-fashioned comfort food. The snowy 20-degree day, the rainy, dreary day, and that food that not only tastes great to your mouth, but it just kind of tastes great to your soul. Deep down inside, you're going, yeah, this, this just feels good. I love this. So a couple of our favorite <clears throat> Comfort food recipes actually comes from, come from Kim's side of the family. Uh, they, they tended throughout her childhood to cook chicken and biscuits as well as chicken and noodles, those frozen noodles. And they're, I mean, they're just fantastic. And in order to make this recipe, her mom through the years used a, a pressure cooker to cook the chicken. So when we got married, she's like, you know, well, we need a pressure cooker to cook the chicken. And, you know, my context of pressure cooker was my mom, her nearly bushel basket-sized pressure cooker, avocado green, sitting on top of the stove so that she could can her tomatoes or her pickles or God knows what she was making. And I'm imagining taking this scrawny little old chicken and putting it down in the bottom of that big old pot and exploding it to death in this thing. And, and, And she's like, no, no, no. And so she showed me or mom's pressure cooker. It's this, it looks more like a pot, sits on the stove, has a little metal weight on the top. And what I come to find out is as much as Kim loves the taste of the food, the thing that was really the big deal to her, the nostalgic piece of this is the pressure cooker. It's got that weight on top, and if you use one of these, as the pressure is building, the pressure cooker starts to go chicka 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 chicka. You don't want it to go boom. You want it to go chicka 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 chicka. And she'd walk in after school, and mom would be cooking that chicken, and you hear the chicka 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 chicka. That was just really comforting to her. She loved that. So we've learned through the years how to cook a chicken well in a pressure cooker. You can cook it a little too long. A little too hot, and you end up with something you might kindly call obliterated chicken. You can cook it a little under and have bloody chicken, which I'm told by the FDA is a bad idea. So, but we've learned ultimately how to cook this chicken and what to do, and it works really well. In fact, <clears throat> it's perfect when so you put the chicken in, you let it cook, and then when it's done, you let the steam come back down, and you turn that handle and you open it up, and there's this chicken laying there, and and. The meat is falling off his bones. 
He's just kind of, he's already exposing a little shin bone and whatever. He just, he's, he's, the meat's come. It's perfect then. It's perfect then. Now, through the last few years, <clears throat> it seems like it's fallen to me to be the one to take the meat off the bone. Now, that's not a problem. I love doing that. But when I take the meat off the bone, we take every last little piece of meat off the bone. You'd think I was a child of depression. I mean, I just take every last little piece of meat off that bone. That's really, really important. So um, we've been going through this study this summer. Aha. We've been looking at Luke 15. We're in week eight, and you're looking at the bones and going, Dennis, there ain't no more meat on there. We, we've picked this passage to death. Why in the world do we need one more sermon on Luke 15? There, there's nothing more there. Well, I am a professional meat picker, and I'm telling you, there's still some meat there. There's still something to be had. And, to, you know, we, we've looked at this passage, and I'm really hopeful by now that as you've read through this, you're starting to hear Luke 15 in a different way. You're hearing the outline. I mean, when you hear he went off to a distant country, your, your stomach is dropping. And when you're hearing things like um, when he finally came to his senses, you're, you're hearing the sudden awakening. When you're hearing, Father, I've sinned against heaven and, and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You're hearing the brutal honesty. You're hearing when, when, he, when, it, when the passage says, and he got up and went, you're hearing immediate action and you're ready to go. We've looked at this passage primarily this summer as prodigals as wanderers, as people who have taken some time wandering away from the Father. I'm going to look at it a little different today. I'm going to look at it today from the standpoint of the dad. The dad who has a son come to him and say, I want my money. The, the dad who spends night after night after night wondering, where's my son? What's he doing? Is he alive? Does he want to come home? The dad who's wondered if he comes home, would I run and hug him? Would I slam the door? What would I do? You see, I suspect for many of us, we have prodigals in our lives. I mean, it may not be a prodigal to the, to the level of the prodigal in this story, but we have prodigals in our lives. We have people maybe right now who have done some wandering. Or maybe your prodigal is back home and, and you've, you, you've had your celebration and you're adjusting to that. We have prodigals in our lives. Sometimes there are children. Sometimes there are spouses. Sometimes they're really good friends. But we have people who have walked the walk with us for a while and wandered away. And now we're like, what do we do now? What, how do we play this role as the father in the story? How do we pray for our prodigal? What, what do we do along the way uh, to help them to come back? So we're going to be looking at that today. And as we do, um, I want to begin by just talking about some of the different kinds of prodigals. Because I think we, we might tend to put them all in, in one particular category. But there are really different kinds of prodigals. For some, we're dealing right now with um, theological prodigals. This one almost seems the safest, right? A theological prodigal is the kid who's basically said, Mom, Dad, that's what you believe, but I don't know that I believe that. And they're, and they're starting to question some things. And, and you're gritting your teeth because you're going, yeah, I, I don't want you questioning the things you're questioning. And the thing that's hard is that for them ultimately have it be their faith and not your faith, some questions and some doubts are probably going to have to happen. 
And so we're wondering, how far do we let our prodigal wander? And what do we do with this? And, and honestly, a prodigal in this area, though it seems safe, can wander too far. Had a friend a few years ago who was, you know, had a lot of doubts. And his doubts led to the point of saying, there is no God. The Bible is not true. Christians are all hypocrites. And somewhere in, in the country today, this morning, he's waking up to lead worship at an unchurch. An unchurch is a place where you still like the fellowship, but you gather to talk about stuff, and you gather for the sake of hearing a sermon about how God isn't, about how the Bible isn't true, and about how Christians are hypocrites. That kind of wander happens, and we pray for people like that. There's moral wandering. That's the one we're probably the most uh, apt to think of when we think of our wanderers. The person who just says, I know that's right. I know what's right and wrong. I know what the Bible says. I know what you say, but I'm going to go my own way. A lot of times that own way comes in the, primarily in the sexual realm, right? Where people just decide, you, you know, I understand what you say the Bible says, but I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. And I'm going to go ahead and do my own wandering and experiment with my own way and do my own thing. There's another category I'd call accidental prodigals, which is interesting because nobody becomes a prodigal by accident. But I think what happens in the life of an accidental prodigal is that something happens that they feel like uh, something happened to them. And their life is a little bit out of control. So maybe, maybe they're not an alcoholic, but they, they get caught drunk, drunk driving once. And that once leads to, pff, why even try anymore? Why even try anymore after all the legal battles they go through and everything else? There's something that happens in their life that is kind of unexpected, but the unexpected thing causes them ultimately to say, it's not even worth trying being good. I'm, I'm just going to go with this stream. I'm just going to live over here. So you have the accidental prodigal, and, and, and then maybe one of the most difficult of all is the addictive prodigal. The prodigal who doesn't know where the line is. You know, here's the thing about all this stuff, guys. I, I know we all love to play with our alcohol. We love to play with our drugs. We love to play with all these things. We don't know where our line is. We don't know until we start to go there. And then when we start to go there, we find out, whoops, the line was back there. The line was back there. So I got an email this past week from a friend who I've been walking with over the past uh, five years. And one of the first times we met, she was talking about this son that she has who has fallen to addiction. And it went from alcohol to pot to cocaine to heroin, just kept going and going and going. And it led to a life basically where he was stealing everywhere he could. He got caught. He got in jail. The whole works. And the email on Friday said, 3 p.m. Wednesday, Eric died. Addictive prodigals. You'd love to believe they're going to come back home, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't. You might have one of these prodigals in your life right now, one of the categories we've talked about or something else altogether, and that prodigal keeps you up at night. That prodigal has had you questioning your sanity. That prodigal has had you questioning so many things. And so what I want to do this morning, rather than a sermon, we're just going to talk. You come, you come to sit with me, we're sitting somewhere, and we're just going to talk today about, you know, what do you do about this prodigal? What do you, how do you handle this situation? How do you live this life now, this life that's, that's sitting here in front of you? So I think that as we, as we take the, uh, <laughs> the carcass of Luke 15, 
and we flip it over a few more times to find some meat. One of the pieces of meat we find is this father. Have you ever entered into the mind of the father in this story? I mean, the father is, he's almost so, it's so matter-of-factly spoken of the father. But truth be told, the father has a son come to him and say, you're not dead yet, but I'd like to get what I can have before you, you know, ahead of your death. In other words, I'm ready for the party, even though your corpse is not in the coffin yet. what, What does that do to this father's heart? What does it do to the father's heart when he's sitting there thinking, if I give him the money, he might leave home. If I don't give him the money, he might resent me. What do I do? What should I do? What's the right thing to do? What's going to guarantee that this prodigal stays on the right path, that he doesn't doesn't walk the wrong way? Have you thought about the father in the story all those nights that he doesn't know where his son is? There is no newspaper. There is no FaceTime. There is no texting. His, His son's gone, and he has no idea. No idea if that son is alive or dead. No idea if that son is living morally or wickedly. He has no idea what's happening to his kid. And then, you know, we see the part of the story where the prodigal comes home and dad runs down the road and hugs him and kisses him. But do you wonder if the father laid awake at night sometimes and thought, so if he does come home, what am I going to do? Am I going to celebrate? Am I going to slam the door? What should I do? Is the only right answer ever to run down the road and hug and say, let's kill a sheep? I mean, what, you know, what, what's, are there times with your prodigal that you say, you got some things to prove first? You got some work to do first? You know, I think when we, when we think about the father in the story, we realize that dealing with the prodigal is pretty stinking complicated. And that what it often causes us to do is question ourselves. While we question the prodigal, and while we're angry at the prodigal, we question ourselves. Where did I go wrong? What could I have done better? What could I have done differently? What should I have said? What shouldn't I have said? How should I have acted? Was my personality too harsh? Was my personality too soft? What did I do to cause this? And that's the question we ask. And to be honest, I don't know that it is the most productive question. It might be a question that needs to be asked, but I don't know if it's the most productive question. I think perhaps the more productive question is not, why, what did I do to cause this? But God, what are you trying to do to me in this? Who are you trying to grow me to become? You see, so much of our attention goes to the prodigal that we don't realize that our interaction with them is actually growing and changing us. It's actually doing something to us. And and so the question is, as I'm sitting before God, God, what are you trying to grow in me? Who are you, not who are you trying to make him or her, who are you trying to make me? Because if I can put it this way, God has brought this opportunity of the prodigal into your life to help you to grow. That person is there to help, not just so that you can grow them, but to help you to grow. What is, what is God needing to grow in you through this circumstance? Now, we, don't, we don't like to think that way. We like to think everything's always you know, good and nice and easy, and God just, oh, you need some joy? Here's joy. You need some grace? Here's grace. Boom, boom, boom. God actually uses bad, hard things sometimes to bring about really good things. So we go to Kansas City, 
and we went to a Royals game in the afternoon, and in the morning, we went to the, um, the Negro Baseball League Museum there in Kansas City. And it was, it was really fascinating, just wandering through and looking at all these exhibits. And of, of course, a piece of the story of that is just absolutely atrocious racism. The fact that people weren't allowed to play in a league because they're black. And they're talking about the fact that um, the teams, of course, traveled. And as they traveled from Chicago to St. Louis or St. Louis to Kansas City, there was not a hotel or restaurant who would serve them. And, you know, we hear that, and it's horrific. It's, it's atrocious, and it's, it's, it's vile. So here's the other side of that. Black businessmen and businesswomen started opening businesses and said, you can come here. There were opportunities for black owners and black managers that would not have been available in Major League Baseball that were available to them in this league that they created. And and quite literally, these people, as they're telling the story, they could have been telling the words of, of, of Joseph from Genesis 1, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. There were, there were good things that came from some of the most desperate evil in our country. And we don't like to think that way about anything. We like to think that good always comes from good. Good can come out of desperate evil. Good can come out of desperate situations. God could use your prodigal situation to actually grow something in you that could never have been grown otherwise. And so might you spend some time in the quiet, not asking God, not not praying in in that moment for your prodigal, but praying for yourself. God, what are you trying to grow in me? Where do I need to cooperate with you more? What, What is it that you want to grow in me? I suspect for a lot of us it comes down to this whole control thing, because all of life is about control and letting go of control. You know, we're even when we think about our prodigal, what can I do to make him? What can I do to make her? Well, God's the maker. We get to watch. Can I let go? Can I let go? What to think? How about what to say? What do you say to a prodigal? I wish I could say there are magic words that would wake them up. We got a prodigal in our family right now. Not our immediate family, our, you know, greater family. And our prodigal is causing the family a lot of pain. And Kim's dad is in his dying days. And he knows about this prodigal. And more than once in our family, someone has said, if that kid could see grandpa crying right now, it would change everything. We like to think that we have, this is the thing we could say, this is the thing we could do that would make the prodigal change. Oh, if it were that easy, we'd write a book, right? I love the way God deals with prodigals in the Bible. You know what he does? He doesn't say much. He asks a lot. He asks a lot of questions. God doesn't do a lot of lecturing. Adam, Eve, you touched the fruit. I said, no, no. Where are you, Adam? Omniscient God, where are you, Adam? God knew where Adam was. He knew where Adam was physically, and he knew where Adam, where Adam was spiritually. Adam knew where he was physically, and he was just waking up to where he was spiritually. Now, God could have written him three or four chapters of the Bible and said, here's where you are spiritually, or he could have just said, where are you, Adam? 
Cain, where's your brother? He knew where his brother was. He knew exactly where his brother was buried. Was Cain going to admit that he was a murderer? I wonder if we don't do enough asking of our prodigals. And again, not those trap questions. We're good at those trap questions, right? I'm not talking about trap questions. I'm just saying a question that will get them to kind of think about where am I right now? Because that that really is the question God keeps asking the prodigal, right? Where are you? I'm over here in the bushes. Where's your brother? He's over there under the dirt. Is it possible that our approach with the prodigal might be more productive? I'm not saying the prodigal's going to come home with this, but might be more productive if we did a little more questioning, a little more sincere questioning, and a little less lecturing. I don't know. Worth the thought. It's the way God treated prodigals. What do you pray? I've got to be honest with you, I've had seasons of praying for prodigals and other hard situations that uh, after a while you just get sick of praying. Because all it does is remind you again and again and again of the pain you're going through right now. But I do believe that probably one of the hardest, one of the most difficult things to pray for a prodigal are the words of Jesus when he was sitting in the garden. Father, not my will but yours be done. Now, does that mean God's will is that the prodigal die? Does that mean that the pro- God's will is that you know, something dreadful happened to the prodigal? That's, that's not the point of the prayer. The point of the prayer is, God, you're in control of this. I'm not. Do what needs to be done in order that my prodigal might have the opportunity to have his or her sudden awakening. You see, I think a lot of us, and we do this, we're good parents, we love our kids. Well, here's what we pray. God, please don't let him get hurt. God, please don't let him do anything in this season that's going to ruin his life. And yet, what had to happen to the prodigal? Crash and burn. He had to crash and burn when he finally came to his senses. We want him to hit rock bottom, but we want to put pillows down there. Isn't that a nice soft landing on your rock bottom? Father, not my will, but yours be done. Do what needs to be done, God, in order that my child wake up, in order that my spouse wake up, in order that my friend wake up. Hard prayer. And by the way, we don't pray that prayer vindictively. You know, Father, you could do a lot worse things than I could, so have at it. You own lightning and you're not afraid to use it. That's, no. No, it's, it's, a, it's a heartbreaking prayer. I am at my wit's end. Whatever you want. And I think part of what God wants to grow us in us with a prodigal is the letting go. It's the letting go. It's the, it truly is your life. You know, my kid's driving away from that gas station in Joplin, and once again I'm going, we handed him the keys. Oh, drive well. But they are his keys. So I mentioned that sometimes you just get sick of praying. I'm saying that. You get sick of praying. You've prayed and you've prayed and prayed. Nothing's changing. And let's face it, why do we pray? Because it's magic. Because if I just say this, boom, everything will be better. And it's not getting better. What in the world? Sometimes 
praying gets hard. Can I encourage you in those moments to pray a prayer beyond words? I didn't know he was going to be here today. I thought he was already gone. So I still have to do this. My friend Don Taylor is moving. And he made this beautiful cross to remind us of him and his family. And I think that for our prodigals, and Don is not a prodigal, so don't take that that way. He made this for us. I think that for our prodigals, it would be a good idea to find an object that represents our prodigal. What's something, maybe it's your kid's baby shoes. Maybe it's your wedding ring, your spouse's wedding ring that they've handed back to you. Some object that represents your spouse. And if not anything else, you can use a cross. Kind of that sense of taking up your cross daily. The cross, in this case, being a burden. And you just take that object and you hold it. And you don't say a word. And this is your prayer. We're going to be reading a passage in a little bit from Romans 8 that talks about the Spirit praying prayers for us when we can't pray. And in that moment of holding that object, you may just be saying, Jesus, Spirit, you're already praying. I'm just joining with whatever you're saying. I can't talk anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't carry this anymore. Here he is, here she is. And just hold that person in the presence of God. My friend Teresa, who wrote the email this week, ended the email with the passage from Romans 8. And I suspect through the 10 years of Eric's addictive behavior, more than once she sat in the silence and said, I have no more words. Here he is. Not my will, but yours be done. Hardest prayer, I think a parent in particular of a prodigal can ever pray. Not my will, but yours be done. Now, here's also the most wonderful part of that prayer. That kid is God's kid in the first place. That kid, that, that spouse is God's kid in the first place. So all we're doing is acknowledging you're the parent in the story. Not my will, but yours be done. Here's the hard part. We saw two out of three times in the stories that we watched, sometimes prodigals don't come home. Uh, I've had more than one prodigal, addictive prodigal, heroin prodigal, that have attended their funeral. Sometimes prodigals don't come home. But can I say the other side? When they do, I don't know that there's anything better in all the world. I don't know that there's anything better in all the world than when that, that kid, that spouse, comes and appears and we get the privilege of running down the road and saying, welcome home. Welcome home. And in this we have hope. That God is in control of all things. 
and he loves us. And he wants us to, to experience his love. So this morning for communion, I'm going to get a different chair for the second service. Got an oil can going there. <laughs> this morning for communion, we're going to invite you to come. Take the bread and the cup. To hear the Father calling us home once again. To know He wants us there. And He loves us. And around the place that we worship, this altar today. We have paper and pens for different places. And today, if it is helpful to you during communion, you could just come and take a piece of paper. In the most simple way, you may just want to write the name of your, of your prodigal. Or prodigals. And leave them here before God. Maybe it would be helpful to you to not just write a name, but to write words. To write a short letter. And leave it here. And in leaving it here, you're saying, not my will, but yours be done. In leaving it here, you might even be saying, I have prayed every prayer I know how to pray. Spirit, pray. Jesus, pray. And I join you in the prayers you're praying. Brian will prepare us for this time by reading the passage from Romans chapter 8. And then we'll have a moment of silence. We have two songs for communion today. And I think that the way to do this that, that may be um, most helpful is that for the songs, we stand for both to allow people not only the freedom to come up, but also a little bit of the cover of standing, that they're not in the spotlight, so to speak, as they're writing their prayers or their letters, but just leave them here. Let God do his work. Now I'm sure of this. The sufferings we endure are not even worth comparing to the glory that is coming and will be revealed in us. For all of creation is waiting, yearning for the time when the children of God will be revealed. You see, all of creation has collapsed into emptiness, not by its own choosing, but by God's. Still, he placed within it a deep and abiding hope that creation would one day be liberated from its slavery to corruption and experience the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we know that all creation groans in unison with birthing pains up until now, and there is more. It's not just creation, 
all of us are groaning together too. Though we have already tasted the first fruits of the Spirit, we are longing for the total redemption of our bodies that comes when our adoption as children of God is complete. For we have been saved in this hope and for this future. But hope does not involve what we have already have or see. For who goes around hoping for what they already have? But if we wait expectantly for the things we have never seen, then we hope with true perseverance and eager anticipation. A similar thing happens when we pray. When we are weak and we do not know how to pray, so the Spirit steps in and articulates prayers for us with groaning too profound for words. Don't you know that he who pursues and explores the human heart intimately knows the Spirit's mind because he pleads to God for his saints to align their lives with the will of God? We are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful when we love him and accept his invitation to live according to his plan. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, our servers are come right now, and they're going to be receiving the offering. And we have a few things to share with you, and then, and then we'll close out our time together. Um, as we're talking, what you're going to be seeing is uh, scrolling of the list of all the journey group opportunities that are available this fall. And so as you're looking, uh, you can kind of get an idea at least of just the names of the groups some of the topics that are available and the relationships that are available within those groups. So uh, you can do that registration online, nice and simple. And uh, what a great opportunity this fall to do some, some learning and, and as well as some connecting, getting to know some other people and experiencing uh, life and growth together. Uh, Brian wants to talk about an opportunity for our junior hires as well. Yeah, we are back in the full swing of things with our junior hires. Not, there we go. We are back in the full swing of things with our student ministries, both Sunday and Wednesday night. Uh, but on Sunday morning, we do have an opportunity for junior hires to enter into the mentoring program. And again, just to refresh your memory, we, we told you last week that we're going to be doing it a little differently this, this year. Uh, we're actually asking for students to fill out an application just so that we can kind of gauge where they are at and you know, what do they think mentoring is, why do they want to do it? Uh, and then some other questions just to make sure that we pair them with the best possible mentor. So if you are a junior hire who has not filled one of these out yet, you need to come see me. If you are a parent who has any questions about mentoring, uh, you can come see me right after the service. I'll be up here. Uh, the one thing that we do want to make very clear this year is that mentoring is not Sunday school. It's honestly not for everyone where they're at right now. It's, it's a challenge. It's, a, it's a, an opportunity for a junior hire to take a next step uh, in their relationship with God. So, again, that's, that's available. And then um, just to let you guys know, too, next Sunday, with it being Labor Day, we are taking Sunday night off. I'm looking at doing a Labor Day lunch, like right after second service with our high schoolers next Sunday. But we will be off next Sunday night. Thank you. So, as we wrap up, there's a question that might come to your mind. We've more than once this morning said, um, pray the prayer, not my will, but yours be done. Is it God's will that your child die? 
Is it God's will that your spouse betray you? Is it God's will that they continue in their addictive behavior? Clearly the answer to all of this is no. God's will is never sin, death, or hell in the sense of that's not what God wants. That's, God wants, what does God do? God stands at the end of the road waiting for the prodigal to come home. He wants the prodigal to come home. That's his, that's his longing. And he implants in every one of us this crazy little thing called free will. And he says, now you get to choose. You get to choose to love me. You get to choose to hate me. You get to choose to draw close to me or you get to wander away. And, and you know what's crazy? That's true love. True love says, I'm here. I am everything you could ever desire. Remember fundamentally what the prodigal is? The prodigal is a person who says, this is good, but I want better. I want better. And they may just have to do some wandering in life to come to a point of saying, there is no one better than my Father God. When we say, not my will, but yours be done, we are not praying for something horrible. What we're saying is, God, whatever you've got to do to bring your kid home, I won't stand in the way. And that's a very, very hard prayer to pray. Can I just say as, as we walk away today that I friend, there's a lot of prodigal or the prodigal's family or the prodigal's spouse, friend. There's a lot of shame involved in this. There's a ton of shame. You know, what are people going to think I was a bad parent? People are going to think that I was a lousy spouse. What, what are people going to think? And what I find that people that are taking the journey with the prodigal very often do it in isolation. They're embarrassed. They're really embarrassed. A church family exists, our church family exists, to walk with you through your valley of shadow of death. That's why we're here. We're here to be there with you in this. Not for you to come every Sunday, dress nice, looking happy, and walking away, but to have friends who will carry the burden with you. Now, we've got to be sensitive with this, right? If you've got a prodigal, probably the worst thing you can do today is go home and Facebook post, pray for my prodigal to come home. Uh, because that causes them shame. And now they're resisting. But you need a handful of friends that you know are praying for you all the time. You need that friend that you know when you get the call at 3.30 in the morning that your kid is in jail and higher than a kite, you can call them and say, would you pray now? Would you be there for me now? I need you now. We need that, and that's why we're here, and that's what we want to provide for each other. Again, that's why we encourage you, even through groups, develop the relationships. You may not have a prodigal now. Yours might be two years away. You need the relationships to carry you through. So prior to the series, I, I got, I think, at least 10 of this resource that Eidelman put together called Praying for Your Prodigal, and it's a, it's a combination of letters that prodigal parents wrote and just some further teaching on the topic. If you are walking through the darkest part of this journey right now, 
I'm going to have these laying up here, and you're free to come take one. Let me just say, this isn't, uh, oh, good, another resource to add to my library kind of thing. Someday I might have a prodigal, so I'll grab one of those free books. This, this, is, this is for the person that is just absolutely, I am out of answers, I am out of wind, I am out of hope. And, um, and so we'll have these up here for you. Uh, and we're not going to be like, you know, spy camera on you to see who took it so that we can call you later or something. This is just, we want to give you resources to help you. And again, with this, this isn't to hand your prodigal and say, my pastor says this will cure you. This is, this is for you to help you in your darkness. Okay, so I'm going to pray one more prayer. I'm going to let you stay seated during the prayer. There may be no greater pain in this world than watching someone we love wander away from the one who loves them most. When we know you are a good, good father, when we know this is a good family, this is a good marriage, this is a good situation, and that prodigal is just saying, better, better, better. I want better. I want different. I want more. There's so many broken hearts in this room today. Hearts that break because they're in the middle of those prayers. Hearts that break because those prayers are done and that child is already gone from this life. We can pray for our prodigal, but God, today I pray for us. Help us to learn what you want us to learn and to grow in the way you want us to grow. Please don't let this this hard experience be wasted in our personal growth. Help us to become who you desire, even through something that is difficult and horrible. And I pray that all of us in this room would be good friends to those who are walking with the prodigal right now. Not friends full of advice. Not friends saying, oh, you should have done this or you could have done that or why not try this or I heard a radio program. Friends will just be there sitting in the ashes, in the dust, more often than not in silence, just saying, I am here. And I am praying the prayers that you are unable to pray right now. Let us to be that kind of family, a really good family to each other, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. You enjoy your week. Shadows on you, but don't you forget that you're headed to more. But you settle for less. Don't buy the lie, it's as good as it is.